right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here and joined today by Keith Tracy and Conan Byrne. We're on RT.ie, YouTube, Spotify and Apple, which is also where you'll be able to catch our daily RT Soccer Women's World Cup podcast, where we run through the latest from the tournament with Ireland and the other 31 nations. So for everything World Cup related, check those out. We'll have Ireland's opening game on Thursday against Australia with live coverage on RT2 and the RT player from 10.30am. And before that, on the same channel, co-host New Zealand kick off the tournament against one of the big hitters, Norway, and you can watch that from 8am. Um, but before we talk League of Ireland and the European fixtures and some other matters, uh, Conan, um, of course, Denise O'Sullivan, there was a huge scare around her from the abandoned um, game against Colombia, a late challenge. I think the footage is, uh, has since emerged of what that tackle looked like but um you know on the eve of a tournament and with a friendly it was uh, it was quite worrying fortunately a little bit more encouraging since yeah absolutely and she she obviously she didn't take part in full training this morning and um just watching some of the footage from the train this morning she was just using her right foot throughout and in terms of her passing and all that her left leg she was just her standing on didn't want any impact from a um from from a football perspective which is extremely positive considering only 72 hours ago she was she was in hospital um but yeah it's it's one of those things as well that when you see when you hear that the footage has come through from the game you're expecting the challenge probably to be an awful lot worse than it was than it looked but at the same time you have to take it in context of the previous 20 minutes that that led up to that point where there was a couple of yellow card well a yellow card was given for that challenge there was a yellow card previously um and the tackle itself, when you look at it really, really closely, the defender does go go, go over the ball on on Denise, and um, yeah, it was a poor challenge. I think people were might have expected to be a two footer sliding in over the ball, but um, yeah, uh, it was still a still a very poor tackle. So, um, encouraging signs since. I don't know if it, if it's a case that she'll make the game um, on Thursday. Like as I said, it, from the footage this morning. There was no contact with the ball with her left foot as well, at all. Um, it was as if she was just trying to get a bit of, I don't know, a bit of movement herself, um, which is, as I said, which is great to see. So that's probably what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of days is who's going to be who's going to be replacing her. Does Megan Connolly go into midfield and Claire O'Reardon go it's, uh, in the tree at the back? Um, I think Vera Pau prefers Claire to... Um, to Diane Caldwell in that position. So Megan Connolly is well able to play in midfield. Does Lily Ag come in for her? Or a, maybe even throw in a surprise, Sinead Farley, to be that creative spark in the middle alongside Ruisha. And then um, bring Abby Larkin into the fold in the wing and, and use that fitness and pace to, to deal with Steph Catley down that left-hand side for, for Australia. So, um, yeah, really really interesting what's, what's going to take place over the next couple of days. And um, But let's let's... Hope it, it goes well for Denise and, and of course Ireland. Yeah, obviously fingers crossed, and uh, obviously we'll be following it closely on the uh, daily World Cup podcasts uh, starting from today and throughout Ireland's involvement in the tournament. And you can also read Megan Campbell's column on RT.ie, and there's a preview show on RT2 and the RT player on Wednesday at 8 pm with Ivan McQuillan and Peter Collins. And turning our attentions to the League of Ireland sides in Europe, Keith, I mean, Ended up being a week that seemed to promise much last week and delivered very little in terms of results and even goals. There was only the one um, goal scored overall by between the four sides. Shamrock Rovers losing to Breda Blick in the Champions League. Pats losing to Dudelange in the, the Conference League. Derry City and Dundalk being held to goalless draws at HB, Torshavn and Bruno's Magpies respectively. But your, I suppose your overall thoughts before we go into detail on each of them. 
Uh, my overall thoughts is I still I still hold out a lot of hope. I think obviously the Shamrock Rovers game is going to be very difficult going away to Iceland. I think uh, Pats obviously have a, a decent uh, decent hill to climb as well. But I expect Dundalk having the, the second leg at home and Derry having the second legs at home. I expect them to get over the line. Torshavin and Bruno Magpies were probably a little bit better than everybody expected uh, being from Gibraltar and uh, the Federal Islands respectively. But I still, yeah, with Derry going back to the going back to the, the, the north of Ireland and Dundalk bringing them back to the Republic, I expect them to get over the line. But I'm a little bit worried about Shamrock Rovers and Pats, to be honest. If if you want me a, a quick quick uh, sum up of it, I think Pats maybe have a better chance of getting over the line. I think uh, I think Breda Blick um, surprised a lot of people, especially the first 45 minutes and talent. I thought you were really really good. The second half, Rovers were a little bit more competitive. He went as passive in the press, and it was a, it was more of a competitive game. But look, I, I think uh, Breda Blick felt Rovers' power, Rovers felt Breda Blicks, and Breda Blicks are the ones who are more confident going into the second leg. Yeah, for sure. And let's listen to Breda Blick's manager, Oscar Torvaldson, and then um, Stephen Bradley as well before we uh, delve deeper into that Shamrock Rovers' first leg. Oscar, congratulations. You came here with a plan tonight. Have we just seen your players execute it brilliantly? I think we laid the foundation for the victory in, in, in the first half. Then we executed the, our, our, our plan uh, as, 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 as good as, as we could. Uh, I, think, I think the first half was brilliant, but, but in the second half we, we were, we were, we were, uh, they were a much stronger team. Uh, they, 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 they had more of the possession and, and, and kind of controlled the game without uh, creating big chances, but 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 but, uh, but uh, as the game grew, we 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 got more tired, started to chase, and 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 just we we had to suffer a lot in the in the second half. I'm 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 incredibly proud of my my players. I, I've said it before the game. Shamrock Rovers is a it's a really good team. Uh, not many teams come away here with a, with a victory, and 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 we saw that. Saw that tonight uh, that they are a, a brilliant possession team that can that can play the ball and 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 solve even the tightest of of of, of spaces. So 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 once we were a little bit on the back foot, we we we, we suffered. You had 65 fans tonight. You will have a bigger crowd and a pitch that you were used to playing on. You said before the game that Shamrock Rovers were favourites. Has that now flipped in your adva- advantage? No, it's. It's just half time, so 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 there are probably now there might might be no favourites, but 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 Grove is a, is a is a bigger team than us. They have more European pedigree. They 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 have a, a bigger budget and and are just a bigger club. So 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 obviously they will be probably going into the into the tyres as as a favourites, and 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 we need need to make sure that we that we play the the full 90 minutes as we played the first half. We we can't allow ourselves to to. To fall down and, and drop back and, and be on the back foot as, as much as we did in the second half, but but then again, you 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 against good teams you you suffer. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Stephen. The the panel in studio are saying you won't be pressing the panic button just yet. Overall, how do you reflect on that performance? Yeah, first half I felt we gave them too much respect. We didn't play with enough intensity in and out possession. Uh, we're too passive in our passing and our press, and, and as a result, they they hurt us in the first half. But second half was a lot more like us, and, and we caused them real problems. Uh, we create the best opportunities in the game. 
and uh, we got to bring that second half over there next week and I've no doubt we can win the game. That must be a frustration from your perspective that they pressed you so much trying to play out from the back but they seem to be allowed far too much time, far too much space to build it themselves. Yeah, we knew how they pressed. They pressed the same all the time. But there's big spaces if you're, if you're aggressive and you penetrate and, and we didn't do that first half. Like I said, we were playing square and setting up the press and, and if you do that in Europe, you usually get punished. And, um, that's what we did first half. Second half was a lot better. We were a lot more aggressive in our play in terms of penetrating through the lines and, and we really caused them problems. How much of a step up then in overall performance is going to be required next week? Just bring what we brought second half. I think you you see in second half we create enough opportunities and caused them enough problems to know if we play at that level, um, there's no doubt in my mind we can win the win the game and go through. How is it as a dressing room? Uh, frustration because we feel we let 45 minutes get away from us and uh, the players know that, we know that. I have to take responsibility uh, for the information and how it was given. That's on me, uh, but I felt second half we were we were very, very good. Good luck next week. Thank you. All right, so that is Sharp Rovers manager Stephen Bradley and before that Oscar Thorvaldson, the uh, boss of Breda Blick, who was uh, doing his utmost to run away from the favourites tag <laughs> as quickly <laughs> as possible, Conan. Um, but uh, they would have gone in as underdogs in, in that first leg, but just even, and there was a sense maybe they would be vulnerable from set pieces and they would need to get used to Shamrock Rovers a system and sort of that box midfield and yet they're the ones that really set the template for the game Yeah I think as Stephen Bradley said they they, they gave too much showed too much respect to, the, to their opponents and and in terms of the breedable they did their homework on Shamrock Rovers they know how dangerous they are with in possession um, with the quality of players they had so they tried to negate that as much as possible by pressing high and then when they got it, being so composed on the ball and passing it around. And Shamrock Rovers really, really struggled in that first half. And I'm sure Stephen Bradley let the hairdryer treatment out at half time because the second half was a completely different affair. Um, control the tempo. Um, a lot of good play. Sean Cavan had a great opportunity to, to equalise. He skied it with his unfavoured right foot. Um, and even with a couple of minutes to go, he had a good chance as well. So, I do think there's positive um, signs for Shamrock Rovers. Um, but at the same time, like Keith says, it's a, it's a very difficult ask to go away from home to Iceland um, to try and, and overcome a 1-0 deficit. It's going to be a very tough game. They played, um, Breedablick played at the weekend as well. They played, had a 1-0 win over Fram, who are third from bottom in, in the Icelandic league. So the confidence remains high within the camp. Um, and Shamrock Rovers have, have an uphill task. Yeah, and the intensity question, Keith, I mean, that was probably the, the factor in the first half from Shamrock Rovers' point of view, or the lack of it in that sense. But how difficult is it to switch that on and off, especially when the opposition have done their homework and they've blocked off particular passing lanes that maybe you would automatically think about going down that way. But because it's not there, you're kind of losing a couple of seconds trying to think of where to put the ball next. Yeah, well, that's where uh, problem solvers on the pitch come into play. You know, managers will send you out with a with an ideal game plan, but obviously other teams are going to be reactive to that. So you need to be able to think on the fly. And a lot of players in that Shamrock Rovers dressing room can. But I think Rovers were just a little bit surprised. The opening forty five minutes, I think, when you go out there, your your intention is to go and press high with lots of energy, and you go and do it once or twice and breathe a bit, go bop bop bop, and you think, oh my God, these are good. And you start to just drop back and drop back. It's the, it's the most human thing in the world to do. And then obviously when you get in at half-time, Stephen Bradley just said, listen, lads, they are decent, but we still need to press them. And it was a lot more of a game in the in the second half. But Shamrock always just made a lot of basic, basic mistakes. There was a, a corner in the, I think it was in the, the 10th minute of the game, or just inside the first 10 minutes, inside the six-yard box. I think Sean Hall loses his man and 
the header straight at the goalkeeper. Otherwise, uh, Rovers would have been one 0 down in the first ten minutes. You can't do things like that. You you just can't do things like that in Europe. And I know Rovers are at home in the first leg and they were a little bit more expansive, but I, I know Rovers uh, Rovers European away uh, away record is not great. So maybe a little bit more pragmatic in the second half. I know Gaffney, Gaffney was winning his battles up there, but he was so so often outnumbered and isolated at times. But if they could get somebody a little bit closer to him and go direct over that breed of big pressing, inevitably then breed of big will, will drop off. You can go and find a little bit of holes. And the one encouraging thing for me is when Graham Ball came on in the second half, he did look like he had something to go and open them up. And even Stephen Bradley said it, you have to be brave in your, in, in your playing out. And, it was once or twice they had a little event to pause, a little flick around the corner, or it'd be a ricochet, and all of a sudden they, they beat the press and they look like they could go and hold them. But they need to be very, very brave, and they have to get it right for 90 minutes over there. If they try and play out from the back and get it wrong once or twice, the ball could very easily end up in the back of their own net. So I think it's a huge, huge task, but not one that Rovers can't do. But I would be... I would be siding with Breedablick on that. I think even the way the manager spoke there, running away from the favourites tag, keeping the lads honest, I think they're a, they're a really good team that maybe Shamrock Rovers have underestimated in the first 45 minutes of football and that could come back to hunt them. Yeah, and Conan just on this second leg then for uh, Tuesday night in, in Iceland. And how... Like how do how do you think Shamrover should approach it? Because as Keith has outlined there, you know Bradeblick are are dangerous, and away games in Europe are all they're always going to be tricky, especially when you have to chase it. Like how early how early do you chase it? Do you look to be cagey in the first half, and then maybe try and um up the ante in the second, or how how do you think um, Shamrock Rovers should or will do it? Yeah, they need to be compact. They need to be strong defensively, um, which they weren't in the first half on um last week. Um, I'd, as Keith said, I'd love to see Graham Burke starting the game because he will create those little passages that players will play into. He gets into great positions. Um, he's on the he's brilliant on the half turn as well, so we can get at the Breda Blick defenders really, really quickly. Um, so yeah, I like. I do think they should they shouldn't go gung ho. Obviously, they're only one nil down. Um, manage themselves into the game really, really well. Hold possession of the ball, which is really, really important. Um, work the breed of the players. Um, but also, you have to keep an eye on some of these players. Like, Ige Offson is, is a fantastic player. He's done really, really well. He's got seven goals in, in the league this season. So, you have to keep an eye on him. And, and their defender, Gunlausen, uh, seven assists from the from defence. These are the type of players that Stephen Brady will be keeping an eye, telling his players to be keeping an eye on because they can hurt you. They really can. And from set plays, we saw the free kick and then the set pieces as well that they're very, very strong from. So apart from that, as I said, just keep it compact. First 30, 35 minutes, see how they are then. And then second half, off they go and try and get a result. Yeah, and then the Europa Conference League, of course, Pats um, lost 2-1 to F91 Dudelange in Luxembourg. But unlike Shamrock Rovers, they have the advantage of uh, of home advantage uh, for the for the second leg. And it's Mark Doyle's late goal really that keeps the tie alive after Van Lingen and Romer um, scored in each half earlier for uh, Dudelange. Now, um, Keith, John Daly was talking about Pats being a bit loose in possession, just turning the ball over um too often. Um was that the only factor behind uh, the fact behind them sort of going two nil down at that stage? I think there was a couple of factors, Raph. I think uh, I think Pats were a little bit off. I think they can definitely play play an awful lot better than they did in that fourth leg. Um, when you look at Jake Mulrain, I think Duda Lange did their they did the homework on him. They knew the press and he didn't let him get up ahead of steam. 
generally just kept them quiet. I think Chris Forrester was quite quiet and it's been, you can't really follow that Chris this season. He's been outstanding. He only had to have a look. I think it's 11 or 12 goals in the in the Irish League already. So very, very hard to follow that at Chris, but I do think he was quiet during the week. But like I said, they, they were taking a step into the unknown. John Daly said beforehand, they haven't had a lot of footage on Dudamans. They've a new manager anyway. Even if they had had footage, it would have all went out the window. So very difficult to know what they were stepping into. And again, we go back to problem solvers on the pitch. And again, look at Dudamans. They were decent. They went bad. They players up front. They can hold you. Uh, Hadji up front had, I think, 23 goals last season. He scored. So he, he's very sharp. But 43 years of age. So probably won't hold you with his pace. He's more of a, a build-up player. But they do have decent, decent players in their team. I expect Pats to be an awful lot better. I do think it's still in the balance. Uh, I think Pats at times just kept forcing the play. They were inviting a bit of pressure on them. But look, that Pats, I think, they, they were dominating in that game. If you, if, you, if Mark Doyle doesn't get that late goal, you're thinking it was a really poor performance and a really poor result. As it stands, I think it was a really poor performance but a half-decent result. And that one goal for Mark Doyle just has a really different feel in the Pats' heads. And Look, I, I'm doing commentary on it again during the week and I'm really, really looking forward to it. I'm hoping, Pats, uh, it's already a sellout. Instacart will be bounced and I'm sure everybody will get behind them and give them every chance. But I just do the launch. I know I, I think they're, in, they're still in their pre-season. They're just starting their pre-season. So hopefully they won't be 100%. We can put them under a bit of caution. They they, they do buckle a bit. So I'm very, very hopeful. I think do the launch again, just like the breather blick, I think they were a little bit better than people are expecting. You know, you hear that they're from uh, Luxembourg and you think, OK, they, they, they're they not great, but they're not bad from what I've seen. And considering that they're, they are in pre-season, like I'm saying, they're not uh, optimal fitness just yet. Very impressed with them. So Pats have to work it out for them, but I do, I, I hold out a lot of hope for them. Yeah, and also in the Conference League, um, Dundalk um, drawn nil-nil at uh, Bruno's Magpies, Conan, and... You know, on paper, maybe it looks like, you know, maybe not the most, and even looking at the, um, I suppose some of the highlights as well, maybe it didn't look like the, the best of performances. But then when you factor in 31 degrees heat, and we know from the news at the moment what Southern Europe is like at the moment, and, you know, bringing the game back now to, to Oriel Park, I mean, they're, you know, they'll probably, they will fancy their chances. And in, in the end, a nil all draw where they did get it, not a bad result. No, and, I would have said it would have been a poor result without the heat, I think. Um, like 31, 32 degrees. Um, I know Gab McLaughlin, the Dundalk media, media of communications officer, spoke to the players after the game um, on Dundalk TV and that's what they were talking about more than anything was the, the heat that, that affected the players. Um, and like with Bruno Magpies, similar to Doodle and Giraffe, is the, the fact that they haven't played a competitive game since April. So these teams are going to improve as well. It's not a case that we should be expecting now Pats or, or Dundalk or even Derry to come to come home and, and put in a convincing victory. It doesn't work like that. Um, they'll still have to be really, really um, guarded in, in defence, but with the home support behind them um, and with the quality of players that they have, you would expect them, you would expect them to go through. Um, but it's definitely not um, 100% going to happen. Um, I do think um, looking at Dundalk, it still they need to strengthen. I think before the end of the transfer window, and with like they have Huben and, and Kelly up front that played the other night, really really good players. But they've suffered some injuries over the last number of number of months, and um, without them, they've they've struggled. So um, they do need to strengthen before the in this month. But at the same time, you do as I said, 
it's a good nil all draw considering the 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 heat and the weather that they were in. But it's very very important that they get over the line this week. Um, both Derry and Dundalk. Yeah, because Derry, of course, as well, also a nil all draw at HP Torshavin on uh, Torshavin's synthetic pitch. And uh, Keith, I mean, again, I'm looking at the you know looking at the footage of this game as it as it played out. Most of the early um, chances seem to go to Torshavin, but Derry grew into it and probably a little bit of momentum going into this week's second leg. Then, yeah, Derry Derry did start slow, but I. I... Again, I, I go back to it. I just think the second leg being in there gives them a huge, huge advantage. And look, I, I, as a player, when you when you play in Europe, and I'm not sure how Colin played in Europe a lot more than I did, but I always look playing away force because I think it just sets the style out that you're going to go there, you're going to suffer physically, mentally, you're going to be out of possession, just give everything you can, empty the tank, get it back, get them back home and don't beat them there. And I think Dundalk and Derry will both be saying that, look, as we've gone over there, we've kept it tight, we've We've suffered, we've done the physical stuff now. Let's go and express ourselves now in the home game. And with the likes of Duffy, Patch, and McElhenney and McGonagall, you just think there's enough firepower there to be able to get them past Harshavin. And yeah, it was a fairly even game. I think Dundalk had the better chances, the more, more shots on target, only just shaded the, the possession. But I do expect Derry to be a little bit more dominant. I think what Colin is saying is right. We're all a little bit surprised by how decent all of these teams are, right? Of all the games, I expect Derry to be a little bit more dominant over Torshavin than anybody else. Yeah, and then domestically here in the Premier Division on Friday night, Shelburne and Bohemians uh, played out a one-all draw at uh, Talca Park. And then Drawdy United got back to winning ways, winning 3-1 at UCD. And then on Saturday night, Sligo Rovers beat Cork City 3-0. And um, Conan, from a Sligo Rovers point of view, big win for them and puts a bit of distance between themselves and second from bottom. And I suppose no coincidence that Max Mata was to the fore and also Radoslajevic seemed to be quite influential in the game too. Yeah, another goal for him. Now it's 2-2 two and two for Radoslajevic. Um, and... Again for Sligo, two wins and three, and and that the their defeat came to Derry City, where Will Patchen's penalty in the last minute kind of ended that little mini revival because they needed they needed to bounce back from their defeat against UCD about a month ago now, um, and they have done that in their performances, um, they beat Bowes, they've beat um, obviously beat Cork, and they put in a brilliant performance up in Derry, um albeit they lost in the last minute. So, yeah, seemed to have turned the corner a little bit, which is great and no surprise to see Max Max made it back in the score sheet and, and back in the squad and doing really, really well. And that's nearly why they're they're starting to come back from it now. You you, you flip that and you can see a lot of people, um, Cork City annoyance over the performance, but with the news breaking then over the, yeah. the, the following 24 hours of what happened, you can understand possibly why Cork City kind of folded like they did in the second half um, with the unfortunate death of Rory Keating's father which I'm sure we pass on our condolences to to his family but I don't know in that situation yourself as a, as a footballer and you come in at half time and one of your teammates has to has to go off and, and, and hearing about that that sad passing it's going to affect your performance your professionalism doesn't come into play in those situations um, you're going out just to to fulfil a fixture and um, but your thoughts are, are completely with your teammate in that situation so um, not that I'm saying give Cork City a free pass here I'm just saying that it's uh, I think we have to give credit to, to Sligo and and um, Cork will probably come back from this now on, on um, at FAI Cup weekend this weekend 
Yeah, for sure. So thoughts with Rory Keaton and his family on the sad passing of his dad here on Cork City had put out a statement in the wake of that um, saying all of Cork City are deeply saddened at the passing of Kieran Keating, father of our player Rory Keaton. We extend our deepest sympathies to Rory and the entire Keating family at this exceptionally difficult time. May he rest in peace. Um, and as I said earlier, um, elsewhere on Friday night, uh, Drada, who are involved in that sort of mix, um, trying to avoid second from bottom, they got a very valuable win um, at UCD to get back to winning ways. But um, one thing I wanted to ask both of you actually was just in regards to some of the UCD players in this very difficult season for them on the pitch, which players have stood out. So Keith, um, are there any kind of UCD players you've looked at over the season where you thought actually, you know, they're, um, you know, they're standing out and what is a, a difficult campaign? Yeah, well, I, I like uh, Kinsler Bishop. I do like him. I think he has a little bit about him. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's so destroying for me because I've been doing commentary now for the last couple of years in the League of Ireland and I tipped UCD to stay uh, stay up last year and that was all because of Tom Lonigan. I just thought his goals would keep them in the league. They had enough of a structure and Tom Lonigan obviously moves on. Alex Nolan moves on. The, the better players just constantly, constantly moves on and I know that's the nature of UCD. I get that but it's just so, so destroying that they're just constantly, constantly in this now and I, I'm saying I like him to the bishop I, I fully expect him to go out the door if not if not this month uh, at the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I like uh, Kinsler Bishop. He's probably the one that that's standing out at the minute. But you know, been been really detached at the bottom of the league. It's they're literally just going out to, to have a game of football, seeing what they can do, and just taking it game by game. But yeah, Kinsler Bishop is the one who uh, who I like. Yeah, and Conan. Similarly, any players that uh, stand out for you? Yeah, like it's 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 hard because like you, you there's. T- these with UCD, they have players that are finishing up their masters or their degrees in May and June, and they have to move on. And we've seen that there with Sam Todd, obviously going back up to Derry City. We've seen that in previous years with Liam Kerrigan, Dylan Duffy finishing up, um, Tom Lonergan, Georgie Kelly. All these players that have finished their degrees, they they or finished their studies, they they move on from the club, and it's uh, it's very very difficult. But in the meantime, they've brought in some players that have been with the club before. The likes of Sean Brennan has returned. Um, Adam Verden has come in from Longford Town as well so these are players that will hope to just steady the ship a little bit they have Jack Keeney obviously their captain they're t- he's a good player an 18 year old Jake Doyle has impressed me this season but they're probably their, their best player has been Alex Nolan and yet as I said he's, his time come has come to an end he signed for St. Pat's last week so um, which by the way is a great move for him um, so it's th- th- that's just the way it is at UCD they have fantastic players that come through their youth system, but the rule is is that once they finish, they 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 have to move on, and um, it's difficult for them, and um, probably frustrating for Andy Myler as well, considering that you you might have players only for six months of the year, and then you have to have an bring in new players to finish the season, so it's very very difficult, um, and in that regard, I think they're having a a very good season because they don't have the the likes of Liam Kerrigan in their team, the likes of Dylan Duffy in their team, Tom Lonergan. They don't have that this season, so it's going to be it's it's a very very difficult task for any minor. Yeah, and so those couple of results we've talked about there. So Sligo Rovers down twenty nine, Drada on twenty eight, Cork City on twenty three, and UCD on nine. And then further up the table, then Shells and Bows um shared the spoils, won all draws. We said and um looking at it, both sides created decent chances up to the point then when Moylan um scored and this this came after an error from Talbot after Hakiki's shot. Um, Moylan, of course, um, being linked with uh, Lincoln City, uh, Keith, but clearly a player that Shells would probably need to keep around. 
Yeah, I think uh, Moylan and Boyd, the, the two boys of front of shells, I think they're a great little duo. I think uh, I think they walk off each other really, really well. And uh, I, I was disappointed for, for Damien Duff on the on the weekend. I thought Shelbourne were the better team for large periods of the game. Bowers obviously had that threat. You could see they had it. If they clicked in the final third, they could make it happen. But I thought Shells were dominant for, for large, large periods. Bowers looked dangerous early on, putting some, uh, some really dangerous balls into the box. But then Shells also looked dangerous as well. And neither team were, were very convincing defensively. So you're thinking there's going to be goals in this very tight competitive first half with, with a decent tempo. And then that mistake from the goalkeeper when he just slips it, uh, lets us squeak out of his arms, tall that Moylan taps it in. You're thinking, right, Shells are going to go and win this, keep it tight. I think Damien does change formation to a, a 4 5 1 as well, try to make it a little bit more compact. And then after lab, he was a decent finish, a little pullback on the half while he's decent finish, and they go and uh, they go and get the winner. But Bowles are, Bowles are, when I, I seen Bowles at Pats at the start of the year, and the, the front three, the McDonald's in the middle as well, I thought they were outstanding. I thought they could really go and give Shamrock Rovers a chase. But they, they've just come off the boil ever so slightly. You, you can see that they still have it, but it's just getting it out of them on a consistent basis. But Look, I, I think Shells again. It's very hard to, very easy to forget. Sorry that this is only their second, their second, second year in, in the big boy league. So they're taking to a look at Duck and Water and the Jack Moylan thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he was there. I know he's been linked with Lincoln, but I think uh, a lot of rumours as well are Hull that he might be going over to Hull, given the relationship between Shelbourne and Hull at the minute. So yeah, I think nobody really wanted a draw. I think if either team, Shelbourne or Bowser, to win that, you know, they might have been able to start talking about Europe, thinking about challenging for Europe to draw doesn't really help either of them. Yeah, and Coleman Bowles have uh, brought Danny Grant back in as well. And, um, you know, I think the the final season he was at Bowles before he initially left for Huddersfield, he'd scored seven goals in 17. And that was during the, the COVID um, shortened season. So what does he bring to the table? Because I know we've talked a little bit about um, the service for Afalabi, not despite his more recent, his recent good form, that maybe the service up to the recent points in the season wasn't brilliant from the wings. But I guess Grant is one an- possible answer to that now. He is, yeah, and he has to get back to the form that sent him over to England in the first place because he does have wonderful talent and he has something that not many wingers in the League of Ireland have now, is that directness that run at defenders to get balls into the box and then Afalabi will be the one to to put that, pit up, put those chances away that hopefully that Danny Grant will be able to create because there's too many times, I said it to you the last couple of times I've been on, Raft, said it too many times, is that wingers these days, they, they're they, they don't put balls into the box. You make runs time and time again. And as a striker and a centre forward, you look at the likes of Sean Boyd and Afalabi and Owen Doyle, Conor Carty and Pat Hooban. And they make these runs time and time again. The ball doesn't get delivered. And it can be so frustrating for them. But with a player like Danny Grant, who comes in, who has that directness to run at players and get balls into the box, it gives balls, striking options, um, the opportunity to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's exactly what they need. Um, Afalabi obviously has four goals in the last four, four games but he only has two in the previous um, 18 so um, it's a it's a huge confidence boost for him and, and three of the, three of his four goals in that great base of time have come in the 80th minute plus so he's a big big player for them in those last few minutes when they, when they need a goal and Danny Grant would be kind of similar to in, I'm not saying a similar player to Jack Moylan but in terms of he gambles in the final third he's not afraid to lose the ball he takes chances and he takes, takes risks and he's going to be a huge asset to Bowes if 
he gets he regains that form that he did that that sent him away. Yeah, and in the first division, uh, of course, uh, the Waterford Treaty United game was postponed um, due to, I guess, the inclement weather. And But elsewhere on the Friday night, Finn Harps uh, beat Cove Ramblers 4-3 in a thriller at Lone Town. were defeated 1-0 by Galway United, who just uh, continue their relentless march at the top. And uh, then Wexford beat Bray Wanderers 3-0 away from home and then on Saturday night Longford Town beat Kerry uh, 2-1 and it, now we're kind of going straight into the first round of the FAI Cup as well and um, I know you were looking at the fixture list earlier Conan and you know there's looking at it anyway there's uh, there's what is it three um, three fixtures that are like all Premier Division so a lot of the focus will go that way Yeah obviously um, Dublin Derby Bowles v Shells uh, it's a big game Drogheda v Sligo as well Um and then obviously the well between Bows and Shells and Dundalk and Rovers, that's going to, Dundalk Rovers going to be on the Sunday with the European exploits. Um, so three all Premier League, Premier Division ties. So big teams are going to be exiting the competition early on, which is gives the so-called lesser teams the opportunity to progress through the rounds. Um, and that's that's great to see as well. I remember with Sporting Fingo back in two thousand and nine when we eventually went on to win the cup. Um, we got a bit of luck along the way. Um, and that's what you need. And um, but like there's some t- tasty encounters like Kerry v Ringmahan as well. I'm looking at that one. That looks like a a, a decent game considering th- how strong Ringmahan are. Um, Gerald Morrissey, former Cork player, plays with them, so um, he he's a very 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 good player. Then you have like there's a potential upsets Raph here, like Kilbarrick hosting Finn Harps. They're they're not moving the game. They're they're having it in Kilbarrick and um. They got promoted last year from the Leinster Senior League, and and they're gone to the top division this year. So that's a that's a big big game for them and and their supporters. Um, and then St Michael's v Waterford as well, with with how well St Michael's are doing in, in Tipperary. So, um, yeah, it's some some tasty encounters, and I'm I'm expecting a few upsets. But from a from a Premier Division point of view, if they're playing a lower league team, they should they should never be beaten. In my opinion, yeah, and Keith, I suppose your own experiences, whether it's in the FAI Cup or even across in in the FA Cup, when there's you know these potential giant killings, and you're coming up against teams that on paper are like non-league or you know below your level, just like how tricky can they those be? Because I know on paper it looks like uh, you know some uh, challenge that should be overcome, but we've seen time and time again historically that uh, you know there's always potential for uh, as as Conan has said for upsets. Yeah, it's horrible. I, I've been on both games. I've been in the, the, the Premier League team going to a, a so-called lower team where you're expected to win. I've been in a lower team playing a Premier League team where you're expected to lose. So as a player, I, I hated being the big boy in the room because it's a thankless task. And I was at Blackburn Rovers in particular of the FA Cup. I was one of these fringe players that when the FA Cup rolled around, I would play, but he'd teach us point of the team in. So it was one of them. If we win, we were expected to win. And if we lost, it was whoever's fault it was who came in. So whoever doesn't generally play, which would be me, it was my fault. So I always thought it was a bit of a thankless task uh, being the big boy because if you win, you're expected to. If you lose, it's pretty much your fault. So I think it's always better to be the underdog in these uh, in these situations. You have it all to gain and nothing to lose. And you can go out there and just give it all. So, yeah, what Conan says is true. Any of the big boys going to the so-called lower teams, they shouldn't lose on paper. If they match the if they match the work rate of the opposition, they generally will be able to let the talent shine through. But football is not played on paper, and that's why that's why I love the FAI Cup, and that's why I love the FA Cup because 
the big boys get to throw a couple of digs at the, at the small boys, should I say, get to throw a couple of digs at the bigger boys. Yeah, yeah, and also there is a cup final in the Avenir Sports All Ireland Cup on Sunday. Um, coming at the showgrounds, Conan and uh, Galway United against Cliftonville. Great opportunity for Galway, who have uh, had a lot of recent growth. Um, especially like obviously they were it was Galway WFC previously, but this season, of course, they're uh, they're linked in with the uh, you know the 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 men's club, and they they have made a lot of progress in recent times, and this would be one way to cap it, especially at this point where. The the season is on hiatus because of the World Cup. Yeah, it, it's going to be a, a great day. Great and great adventure for the teams that have got to the final, obviously Cliftonville and Galway. Um, probably two teams that you may not have expected to get there at the start of the competition. Um, but full credit to Galway heading down to Wexford to, to win that game. You, and even in the semi-final, you're probably expecting the Cliftonville v Wexford final. Um, but Galway have did really, really well to defeat Wexford down on their, own, on, on their home patch really really good performance and and even Cork City heading heading up to, to Northern Ireland to Cliftonville where they had to do it two weekends in a row um and only losing one nil was a it's a devastating blow to them considering how poor they're doing in, in, in domestic action. So um I did talk about maybe the having a festival of football, having the both semi-finals on the same day, which would have been nice. But now the final at the showgrounds hopefully we can see a big crowd um for two very, very good teams that have that have progressed really, really well this season. And um, with Galway United, as you said, mixing now with the making a, a one club team, which is uh, which is always great to see. Similar to what Wexford are doing and Shells are doing, and, and a lot of the League of Ireland clubs are doing, which is great. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to put their name on the on this this cup for the for the first time. Yeah, and over in the the Premier League and um, Arsenal, obviously, um, Keith, I think it's wor- worth bringing up now. This has taken about two weeks to get over the line, albeit it is a lot of money, £100, um, £105 million pound for Declan Rice to uh, move from West Ham to the Gunners. And, you know, what's your, I suppose, what's your thoughts on the move overall? And also coupled with the fact that being able to get Jurian Timber, who's very highly rated um, from Ajax um, as a def- very versatile defender, and then... Kai Havertz, who scored um, Chelsea's winner in the Champions League final a couple of years ago, but maybe whose form is, um, you know, there's always a little bit of uncertainty about just how good he is, what's his best position. Yeah, I think uh, as an Arsenal fan, I might be being a little bit biased here, Rafa. I think Arsenal have done the best business so far in the in the transfer window. When you look at Declan Rice, Havertz and Timber, I, I, the only one that's probably a question mark over is Timber is because he hasn't played in the Premier League, but when he's played for the Netherlands, he's looks solid. He looks really, really good. One of the best right backs I've seen. So I'm really excited to see how he does. Havertz at Chelsea coming in. He looked a really good player at Chelsea, but he just seemed to get lost in, in a really, really big pool. So hopefully Miguel Arteta can get him in, make him feel like he's, he's 10 feet tall, make him, you know, just make him feel loved at the club. I think he's one of those players if you put your hand around, make him feel loved, make him feel like he's a big, big part of the team. I think they'll get the best out of him and Declan Rice. We're all expecting him to hit the ground running, obviously just moving across uh, across London. So, yeah, if Declan Rice goes on to be the player that every Arsenal fan is expecting him to be, I think a lot of people are counting him to be the next England captain as well with the with the likes of Thomas Partey in there, Odegaard as well, as, you know, just getting better and better as, as the games go on. So, I think Arsenal have done done really, really good business. But there's a, there's a couple of clubs that I think Aston Villa have done uh, really good business on the slide with Pau Torres and Jordi Tillemans coming in the coming in the door there as well. I think that's really good business. And 
I think that the bargain, the bargain so far of the of the transfer window has to be Alexis McAllister, thirty five million for a, a World Cup winner. And when you see what he was doing at Brighton, when you see what he did for Argentina in the World Cup, outstanding. And to get that sort of talent in the door for thirty five million, absolute bargain. Yeah, and uh, I suppose before we go, um, there was of course the um the interview that Deli Ali did with um Gary Neville on his channel, the overlap um as well, where he kind of discussed some of the the issues and like pretty horrendous issues he'd experienced as uh, as a youngster, and then also some of the issues that have been affecting more recently in terms of his form. And I I suppose Conan, it's a reminder sometimes, you know, when we're talking about players' performance, and he's. And Ali Delhi Ali has been somebody whose um form has been under scrutiny for a while, but it's always been talked about in a footballing sense. But we have to remember people, I guess, are human beings and that there's sometimes there's sometimes there's other things going on in the background that maybe explains performance. That's the problem with modern day football. Um you're in the limelight 24-7, and if you step outside your the your home you're going to be talked about no matter what you're doing, whether you're going out for dinner with your partner or going out with a few drinks with your friends, whether it's the right thing to do or wrong thing to do, you're going to be talked about for doing that. Um, and with Deli Ali, no player, in my opinion, could could um, sustain what he has done um, and keep going with what he has been through over over his life. Um, I think it's physically impossible. And that's why I have to give him so much credit for being able to to do that. Um, from such a young age, starting out at MK Dons, um, and then getting into well, getting into the first team at MK Dons and then progressing from there. Um so f- unbelievable achievement for him to be able to go as far as he did with the pain and anguish that has that that has happened in his life. And um yeah, I just wish him well. I just hope now that the fact that it's that it's out there. That the support network is is strong for him, that because he'll need it, um, and I'm sure he has the full support of of his teammates, but most importantly, his manager Sean Dyche. Yeah, and Keith, um, Sean Dyche is obviously somebody you, you know very well, and um, you know, great man manager, and probably the the perfect manager for Delhi Ali to have um, at Everton in terms of you know bouncing back now and trying to you know um, kind of almost restart his career. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the he's, he's in the best place he can be with, with Sean Dyche as a man manager. I, I told many stories about him, you know, treating me as a human being and, you know, actually looking past me as a footballer, you know, it was almost second nature. He didn't really care about me as a footballer. He wanted to sort of person out. And the, the one thing for me that stands out in, in, in Delhi, Delhi Ali's interview is that, you know, he, he is addressing these issues now, these things that were in his head that he seemed to be running away from. And, I've heard, you know, I've never actually met Deli Ali back in the day, but I've heard things about him that, you know, he's a very popular lad, but always felt a little bit distant and a little bit lost, even within groups, he just felt a little bit distant. So, look, Sean Dyche taught me years ago when I was running away from the alcohol problems that you can't do it, you cannot run away, that it will come and get you eventually. So now it looks like the issues are being met head on, he can start to heal, he can start to get better, but... I remember Sean Dyche at the end of last season saying about Delhi Ali that Delhi does have a small injury at the minute, but it will not be a quick fix from coming back. And I think he knew what had been going on. And look, he's in the best place now. And now that now that uh, now that he started to address the issues, I'm sure he can start to heal. And as long as that takes, it'll take. But just keep himself fit and keep himself mentally right. And 
the, the brilliant thing for me is when you think of Deli Ali, when I think of Deli Ali, I think of that goal he scored against Crystal Palace, the little flick over the head, the pirouette, bang. Like these are these are things that only a world class talent can do, like real, real world class talent. So look, it's it's not about being a footballer, it's about being a human being. And if he can sort himself out as a human being, then the footballer will come along with it. And like I say, he, Sean Dyche the best best person there, best person around for him. Yeah, for sure. And I think that brings us to a close for this week's um weekly um RT soccer podcast. Obviously, we've got the daily uh, Women's World Cup ones. Um, there'll be one today, um, another tomorrow, and then um throughout Ireland's involvement uh, in the tournament as well. And of course, the uh, the first game for Ireland against Australia in front of eighty thousand people. That's uh, on Thursday morning. Um, coverage starting on RT two and the RT player from ten thirty a.m. Um, and also on the same channel before that, as as I said earlier, New Zealand against Norway opening things up at eight a.m. But uh, Conan and Keith, um. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Raph.